Hello and welcome to College Talk. My name is Beth Brandon and I will be talking to you about various college topics throughout this podcast series. Give a little background about myself and why I'm here blabbering at you. I got my master's in higher education and student affairs a few years back and after that I started serving with AmeriCorps through a program called Advise Michigan uh, through an organization called MCAN, or Michigan College Access Network. So our goal was to become near-peer advisors to high school students transitioning into college. Uh, The students and the schools that we focused on had high populations of of students of color and then first-generation and low-income students. And so we were really trying to help break down barriers and create avenues for students to not only get to college, but understand how to be successful um, as they were moving through as well. And so through this, I learned a lot more about the um, student side of higher education. You know, through my master's degree, I learned about the, the university and the colleges side, right? The, the history behind it, the, the laws behind it, different development theories, you know, about how we interact with students, and then came back on the flip side to learn about the student experience uh, applying to college and first setting foot on that campus, you know, because I did that, but six years ago, seven years ago. So it was kind of interesting to go and and see how things had changed and learn how to best serve those students Um, because it's it's a very different world than from, you know, when I started college or from when, you know, parents may have started college. It's nice to know. So today's topic, um, we're going to focus on the FAFSA, and this podcast is very focused on Michigan, and so if you're listening out of state, still applicable. Um, All of these will be, but I'm going to talk about FAFSA deadlines, and I'm really going to focus specifically on the Michigan deadlines, but an easy fix for that is um, just type in FAFSA deadline, your state name, and you should get that really easily from your state government. Some schools have different deadlines for priority financial aid deadlines than other Uh, than the states that they're in will, but most schools follow along with the state deadline too. So that's a great thing to check out as we're moving into the spring because the FAFSA is uh, due in just under a month here in Michigan and maybe in other states as well. So that's what we're going to talk about. What is the FAFSA? That's such a, what is that? It's the free application for federal student aid. And essentially it's a form that you fill out that asks for a bunch of crazy information from both the student who's attending college and then one or both of their families depending on marital status. There are a couple exceptions if the student is a parent themselves, uh, if they were in foster care, if they have connected with a McKinney-Vento person or talked to a counselor at their school and they have um, been registered as homeless unaccompanied, they can be considered independent um, if they have their own dependents, so they're taking care of someone and providing half the financial resources for, um, someone else, those, there are a few weird situations if they're in a veteran, you know, things like that over a certain age, um, they can become independent, but for the most part, students are considered dependent, and so they will need parent information. Here's why. The FAFSA, takes all the information you put in, students' financial, students' demographic, parent demographic, parent financial, and it does its crazy calculations, and then it 
it gives you a number. It's called the EFC or the expected family contribution. It doesn't necessarily reflect um, what's actually happening in the real world. Not necessarily, especially because they use prior, prior year taxes. Don't worry, we'll talk about that. Um, and so things may have changed in the last year. But it, it's an, it gives them an idea of, okay, this is how much aid the student will probably need to be successful in affording college. And like I said, sometimes that's realistic and sometimes it's not. Um, and so basically it helps decide what kind of student loans you're going to get, unsubsidized or subsidized. Pretty much everyone will have the option of loans if you do the FAFSA, regardless of income. You will have unsubsidized loans. Um and those aren't necessarily something that you need to use. You never have to touch a loan if you don't have to, but accidents, emergencies, things happen, a scholarship, something might slip through the fingers, whatever that looks like. That loan is a great backup plan because it's a low and fixed rate income. If something didn't pull through with that scholarship, you can use it to pay for your loan afterwards and pay it off right away. Um, you know, so I, I just, I think it's, it's regardless of income, it is so important to fill out the FAFSA because it gives you options. Um, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to have the best opportunity and the best option regardless of, of what's going on. So jumping back, it does that formula, it creates that number. And then you see how much loans you get, how much in loans, um, but also in grants. And that's where I like to focus. Grants, it's that free money, right? It's money that you get to use towards educational purposes that you don't have to pay back. As long as you are utilizing it for educational purposes, you don't have to pay it back. That's fantastic. Here's the kicker. Let's say you get merit scholarships, and since we're in Michigan, the tuition incentive program, you qualify for that, and you're able to utilize those two things to pay for um, your first semester at a community college. Let's go with um, Montcalm Community College, let's say. You're, you're going there. And so you have that tuition covered, but you're, you need a laptop. Um, for a class like you know that you need to write a lot of papers you don't want to have to go in and sit on campus and use the computers they have there well cool you can utilize the Pell Grant to purchase a laptop because it's an educational expense so that's kind of a a nice option that it gives you um, so the FAFSA basically just gives you access to those depending on your financial need and then also different amounts depending on that financial need. So some folks might get the full Pell, which is about $6,095. Some folks might only get about 4,000 of that, 2,000 of that, whatever, depending on that need. Um, but that's still free money that you don't have to pay back and you won't know what you're going to get until you fill it out. So that's what the FAFSA is. It's a form. The why is it just provides financial, more financial opportunities and frankly, the federal loans, there's so much better than private loans. So if, if that's an, a route that you can take, um, I would recommend taking the route of federal loans first before private loans. It's a fixed low interest rate. Um, they're a little more flexible in terms of repayment options. So after you graduate, they have income-based repayment plans. Um, you can do it as like when you start out at a lower earning job, you could start with a lower payment and it'll increase. And so as, as you're gaining more capital and you're becoming more financially stable, um, you, you can up those payments, things like that. Um, they just, I don't know, it's a little more flexible. You can change from a full payment to an, you know, uh, 
you know, salary-based payment and then, of course, or income-based payment, and then you can jump back up to regular payment depending on what's happening in your life. And I think that's just really awesome that they can be that flexible. Um, so that's the what and the why. Before you even start the FAFSA, and I think this is a little tricky, you have to have an FSAID. F-S-A-I-D. And that's basically just your username and password to log into the FAFSA. It's really secure, and I would say treat it as you would your social security number. Um, and it takes your social security. Like you have to have your social security number to use this. The reason being, it is double-checking your identity. That social security number is almost like your password, your allowance to create the ID, which you will then use to log into personal financial information. So it's really important that you keep it protected and uh, you keep a good hold on it because it is sort of like a key, an access key to, you know, different financial information regarding, you know, high, you know student of their, your student's finances. Most, like, particularly the student, the parent, it's going to be tied to your social security number. Um, you can use it to use the IRS data retrieval tool. We'll talk about that, don't worry. Um, and, and all of those things. So I, I think... I just cannot press how important it is to make sure uh, that you you know where that is and you know that it's safe and you know that it's private and it's just yours. Um, so the student will need one and then just one parent. And if parents are together, I would say whichever parent is more comfortable using a computer, whichever parent knows and is more comfortable with tax documents, if you can agree on that, that's the parent that should do that. If parents are separated or divorced, the parent that the student lives with 50% of the time or more or provides over 50% of financial support for, that's the parent who should be filling out the FAFSA. The other parent does not need to worry about creating a, a an FSA ID, just the parent who um, is handling all that financial or... Um, the student is living with more. So that's FSA ID. The next thing I want to talk about are the parts of the FAFSA. So when your your student is going, it's your student's FAFSA, it's your student's loans, it's your student's grants, it's your student's paying for college experience. So you're going to use your student's FSA ID to log into the FAFSA. You're going to click on the start now because you've never done one before. So it'll be the first one you're going to do. And it's going to have you sign in, with your student's FSA ID. They do. Cool. The first thing that's going to pop up is student demographics. They're going to make sure that their social security number is right, their email address, all that stuff that's going to come over from the FSA ID. And then they're going to go through and answer more questions. Um, if they're males, they might be asked if they have registered for selective service yet. If not, and they're like 17, just have FAFSA do it for you automatically because then you don't have to worry about it, you know, filling out a million forms. I actually don't. I don't know what it's like to fill out forms for selective service, but they don't have to worry about that when they turn 18 because the FAFSA has already done it for them. Um, once you get through the student demographic section, it'll ask questions about dependency. So if you've been in foster care, if you've been, uh, you know, adopted, if you have been um, a ward of the court, ooh, here's something. If you have been legally adopted, uh, the folks who adopted you would be considered which I think is really cool, uh, your parents on the FAFSA. So those do count as your parents. Um, if you're an independent student, so you're in foster care or something like that, they do have two questions about parent one and parent two 
um, their education level, they are asking for biological parents. So if you're living with a guardian or a foster parent, it's not theirs. Um, it's your biological parents. And same thing if you're doing a parent and a step parent, you will have to put step parent information in there. Um, but the educational background, again, is for biological. So step parent finances and things like that, but biological parents for the education question. And that's like one of the last questions you answer in the student demographic section. So as soon as you finish the student demographic section, um, and if you're a dependent student, it's going to bloop, take you right over to the parent demographic section, and your parents are going to answer different questions, parent one, parent two, um, about themselves. I would say the person who is using the FSA ID should put their info in as parent one. I just think it's easier to keep it straight. You can do parent two, that's an option, but parent one, just I think that makes it a little bit easier. Um, you're going to go through all those parent demographics uh, questions, and then it'll take you directly into parent finances. Here's where it gets cool. A couple years ago, uh, the government was like, um, well, we work together, so we should talk about this. And the IRS and the Department of Ed were like, let's connect. And they made a data retrieval tool so you can use your FSA ID to sign in. And then you put in the address on the tax return that you would be using directly what was on there, like exactly, periods, capitalization, everything. It will pull all the information from your tax return and plop it into the FAFSA for you. My favorite thing about this option is that instead of showing your income, the amount of taxes you've paid, investments, that those numbers on your screen. So if you're doing this at like a public FAFSA night at your local school, instead of having those numbers out there where like, you know, Joe Schmo who's, you know, peeking over their desktop at your computer screen, all they're going to see is transferred from IRS. All your child is going to see is transferred from IRS. And um, and that's really awesome. The only thing is make sure you have your W-2 because they will ask for your income from that year just to make sure that the information they've got is the same as the information that you have in front of you. And so that that income is from your W-2 is just sort of like a, a check. Um, after you do the parent demographic, it or the parent finances, it's going to kick you back into the students section and they're going to do student finances. If your student didn't do taxes, you're just going to click not going to file, not going to file. If they did, you can use the IRS data retrieval tool. Um, and then there's a question about answering assets. I always say yes. Students don't usually have investments, uh, things like that, but it's not a bad idea to throw in um, what's on their checking account or savings account. I just think it's sort of like, hey, I've done all that I can to ask your questions or answer your questions. Um, and I, I don't know. I think that might make things go smooth more smoothly later on is that proven no um and then this is one of the most important things the signing page if you're doing this on the phone app make sure that you're watching because i was reading some documents i have not used the phone app i'm nervous about autocorrect um so i don't i don't use that i don't have my students use that um but I, I do know that sometimes if you go to change something, it can erase the student section. So be really wary about that when you're using the, the phone app. Um, but if you're on the computer, the student has to sign and accept that they're saying what, what they're saying is true. And then the parent also has to sign. You both have to, and the, when the parent signs, they have to enter in their FSA ID, their username and password. Both of you have to sign before you can submit for the FAFSA to process uh, correctly. If you don't, it'll just kind of sit there in limbo for forever. 
So once you've signed and submitted, um, that'll get sent to the schools that you've selected in the student demographic section. Um, so let's say you've selected like Western Michigan University, Ferris State University, Michigan State University, and University of Michigan Flint. So those are the four that you are applying to. Um, you would do that. If you all of a sudden are like, I'm applying to Alma College now. I want that small private. Like, I know I'm going to get a great merit scholarship or they have a program that I'm really excited about. Whatever that looks like, you can do that too. You can go back in and change it and add schools. You just both, again, need to sign and submit. And the parent's going to have to enter in their username and password again. And that's it. You submitted your FAFSA. Take two to three days to, to process. It'd be amazing. Boom. What's really cool is right after you submit it, you can see what your estimated EFC is, that expected family contribution, but you can also see the estimated award that they think you're going to get. It might be a little different on those Ed Award letter or the award letters you'll get from different colleges later, but you can see like they, if your EFC is at zero, more than likely you're going to get full Pell. And so um, you can kind of see that and gauge, okay, this is what I am going to get that I am pretty sure of and start thinking about that as you're going on your scholarship search. That's why it's better to do your FAFSA as close to October 1st as possible because then you can figure out I need to get this much in scholarships or work and save this much in order to make ends meet in terms of the college tuition kerfuffle. So I, I can't press how important it is to get it done early. Um, speaking of getting it done early, October 1st is when it opens. You can start on it October 1st, finish it October 1st. What a dream. Um, March 1st is Michigan's priority deadline. So if you're looking to um, a lot of the schools, that's their deadline too. And so after that, there's not really a promise of funding. It's not that you might not get it, but you might not get as much. And that is not cool. So make sure you get your FAFSAs done by March 1st. Please, please, please. It's for your own good. The federal deadline is June 30th. But we're focusing on the state deadline. We want it done by then, so it's out of our hair. Yes. Sometimes in the wonderful financial aid and FAFSA process, um, after you filled everything out, you did amazing. You didn't do anything wrong. You filled it out correctly. It's beautiful. Your FAFSA is gorgeous. You get a letter saying that they need to check some stuff. Maybe it says verification or your student gets an email and they're like, we need to see your tax returns. Um, we need to see a tax transcript. Is this really what you made? And um, they might ask for like a birth certificate, things like that. It's not you. It's them. Uh, every year they have to choose a percentage number of uh, FAFSAs to check at the schools just to verify the information that is being received is, is correct, um, just to prevent misuse of the financial aid system. So people reporting that their incomes are lower so they can get Pell Grants, um, things like that. It's a pretty simple process. A lot of times if you use the IRS DRT, a lot of colleges have an option where you can be like, well, I use the IRS DRT. It came from the government, so I can't scam the government because then the government will be the one scamming the government. And they're like, yeah, okay, cool. Um, and that makes things go a lot smooth, more smoothly. Um, otherwise, you would just order a tax transcript from the IRS. You can do that online if you have a credit card or a mortgage, um, because you can put those in there to kind of do that double ID check. Um, if you're a student, you have to order by mail, and that takes a long time. Um, 
So if you think, you know, if your student did do taxes or they didn't file taxes and you're a little bit afraid of that, um, there are forms on the IRS site where you can get those and fax them in. You can um, always talk to a financial aid office at the college and they should be able to help you too. But I, I just think it's really important to reiterate that verification isn't anything on you. It's just something um, that happens and it happens annually. Last year, there was like a glitch in the system and they actually ended up um, verifying like 40%, which is a lot. Um, but the year before that, it was like 25. So it, it, it really depends on the year and it depends on um, the percentage rate of, of fraud or misuse that they do get, how much they have to do the next year. So it's it's not necessarily a straightforward process, but what is straightforward is not that you did something wrong. Um, it's just that you fell in the into the percentage category, I guess. Finally, the last topic that I have for today is I literally have it written down as ask, ask, ask. Um, if you have a question and there's a college advisor at your child's school, a counselor, uh, a local community college financial aid office, or even if it's a big four-year university financial aid office, ask. This is a tricky, topsy-turvy, twisty, windy process. Financial aid is, is not very easy and, you know, a lot of schools handle it different ways. All of those at award letters are going to look different. Those financial, those financial award letters, they're gonna, every school does them differently. And so it's okay to call and ask and it's okay to say like, hey, you know, what is this? Or, you know, what is this verification? What are you sending me? Um, and they can walk you through it. You, you know, whether that's uh, a financial aid advisor at the school, whether it's a college advisor at your high school, maybe it's someone at a community college, maybe it's a counselor, you know, a teacher who focuses on post-secondary prep, whatever that looks like, um, definitely ask. I think there's a big culture of we have to figure it out on our own, but that's the beauty of higher ed. They have a lot of systems in place for you to ask, and um, once your student steps on campus and, and is enrolled, um, FERPA kicks in, and, and unless you have like signed documents from your student saying that you can ask those questions on behalf of them, it, it's kind of on the student. So it's great that senior year to have them make the phone calls to admissions to ask, you know, why haven't, you know, where, why does it say my document's not up there on my portal, or, or have them call the financial aid office to ask those questions. Even if you come up with the questions together, even if you come up with the questions and you write them down and you make them ask, um, it's still really good practice for them to figure out how to find those resources and start asking the questions that are going to help them get further as they they go on. So that is pretty much all I have today for College Talk. And I hope you can join us next time when we talk about scholarship application tips. Thanks for joining, and we'll talk to you next time on uh, College Talk. Get ready.